0: I'm Brian Santo, E.E. Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to E.E. Times On Air. And this is the weekly briefing for the week ending January 21st. The twin disasters of the trade war and the COVID pandemic have rattled supply chains all around the globe, leading to supply shortages that have left many manufacturers desperate for parts. And as they say... Desperate times call for desperados. Okay, nobody says that. I just made that up. But it happens to be true. Scam artists have been selling counterfeit ICs and printed circuit boards for almost as long as the electronics industry has been around. But counterfeiting seems to be accelerating as shortages persist. Computer chips are not like money, where counterfeiters print fake bills. It's relatively easy to gain access to a printing press. It is way harder to get access to a modern fabrication facility, which makes it nearly impossible to turn out fake chips. So what does IC counterfeiting actually look like? How can you detect it? And what can you do about it? Our guest this week is Dominic Forte, a professor at the University of Florida, who is an expert in cybersecurity in general and in counterfeiting in particular. We’ll also hear from my colleague Barbara Jorgensen, editor of EPS News, and an expert in electronics procurement. But before we dive into the netherworld of high-tech skullduggery, here's a quick overview of some of the other stories we covered in EE Times this week. Since we’re talking about the electronic supply chain, a local newspaper in Ohio is reporting that Intel is planning to build a new wafer fab near the city of Columbus. Weirdly, Intel refuses to comment. Meanwhile, in a separate story, TSMC said it's going to spend even more than it had planned just a few months ago on expanding its production capabilities. Next up, NVIDIA's proposed acquisition of ARM is still awaiting regulatory approvals. But in a new regulatory filing, the two companies explicitly state a few things that analysts have been speculating about all along. ARM is not successfully penetrating some markets it had big plans to expand into. It is seeing its current advantages eaten away by those using RISC V as an alternative, and it lacks the resources to remain competitive in the future if it is stuck making a go of it alone. Finally, we've got several stories about automotive electronics. One takes a look at the new chips from Mobileye, another compares silicon from ARM, Ambarella, Omnivision, Qualcomm, and others, and it concludes that among all the companies, the technology suppliers, competing in that space, seeing machines seems to be particularly well positioned for ongoing success. Yet another story takes a look at how Mercedes-Benz is exploring the use of brain chips neuromorphic chip for in-cabin keyword recognition. In this application, keyword is perhaps an unintentional pun. Go to eetimes.com to read these stories and many others. Also, remember you can sign up for EE Times newsletters. Our daily includes breaking news, and we also have several newsletters dedicated to specific coverage areas. Just find the button on the top of our homepage that says Subscribe. We hear estimates that IC counterfeiting costs the industry billions of dollars a year, but reporting of the crime is spotty, so nobody really knows exactly how big the total losses might be. Now, the dollar losses are bad enough, but it's the non monetary consequences that are potentially the much bigger problem, and it's not possible to put a price tag on them. A counterfeit chip ends up causing a smart doorbell to fail. Well, That's aggravating, and if enough fail, that might end up having a material effect on the manufacturer's business. But should a substandard chip end up in a motor vehicle, a failure could be fatal. Further, should a counterfeit chip end up in a weapon system, the result could be catastrophic. And we know for a fact that happens. The Semiconductor Industry Association issued a report on the subject back in 2019 in which it cited Two recent examples of prosecutions. One against one man selling fake chips that ended up in some unnamed Air Force system. The details were classified. Another man was convicted of selling counterfeit ICs that were heading for use in nuclear submarines. That SIA report was more than two years ago, and those who follow the subject of counterfeit ICs report the problem seems to be just getting worse, given the supply chain disruptions that have been going on for two years now and which are still nowhere near being solved. So we have questions. What is counterfeiting exactly? And how should a company go about preparing itself against being scammed? To answer those questions, we invited an expert.
1: So I'm Professor Dominic Forte. I'm an associate professor and the Stephen A. Otoro Faculty Fellow at the Electrical and Computer Engineering Department at University of Florida. Um, I've been there for uh, about six years now. And I'm also affiliated with the Florida In- Institute for Cybersecurity Research, or we call it Fix research at the university as well.
0: All right. So, and you have been um, examining the issue of counterfeiting for at least a couple of years, perhaps longer, right? Nearly 10 years we've been looking at this. Yeah. So, looking at the problem, looking at all kinds of solutions. So let's talk uh, at, at the the highest level. Uh, you've got a ten year perspective. Can you? Can we ask you to to give us kind of a historical uh, perspective of the counterfeiting phenomenon? Uh, we can go into the particulars about what counterfeiting is in a moment, but first I'd like to get a sense of um, is it was it huge. Was it a huge problem from the beginning? Is it something that slowly uh, accelerated? Give us a historical view of the phenomenon of counterfeiting ICs.
1: Sure. So um, back when I started in the area, I did, I did look into some older documents from all kinds of government agencies, uh, Department of Energy, for example, and I do remember them seeing pointing to counterfeit parts as early as, as the 80s. I, I, I expect that it was a problem then. And like you said, it kind of got worse and worse over time because it wasn't dealt with. And when I began as a professor around 2013, uh, just before that, in, in 2012, there was a lot of talk in, in the U.S. government. Uh, there was a Senate Armed Services a Committee report. Which was highlighting uh, all of these counterfeits uh, that have what, what risks they pose to to military systems and how many suspected counterfeits had been found uh, to be sold to to the, uh, the the Department of Defense in you know two thousand nine and two thousand ten. So it was a very hot topic then, and it it seems to have again there were a couple of laws and things that were passed, and you know that kind of cooled cooled the area down slightly, but. You know, in my opinion, it hasn't it hasn't necessarily solved the problem yet. And there's there's still more to go. And this pandemic induced chip shortage that we're experiencing now is just one example of that.
0: Right. So the pandemic, I imagine that the the trade war has also which has also disrupted uh, supply lines has uh, has had an effect as well
1: yeah, my my understanding is that materials that are needed for for semiconductor chips, uh, as you mentioned, the trade war, that impacts it, as well as the fact that we haven't been able to produce as many chips, which leaves a a void that counterfeiters are gonna are gonna try to fill.
0: Yeah. Um, have you found uh, any uh, um, suggestion that uh, the way business is conducted and how it has evolved over the years? Um, has left any openings for, for counterfeiting. And I'm thinking particularly of uh, some of the biggest companies uh, um, sell directly to their biggest customers and then rely on distributors to, um, to, to take care of a lot of the smaller customers. Um, and, And then you layer shortages on top of that. It seems like, the industry has created for itself a couple more places where a counterfeiter can weasel into the process. Um, is that does uh, that a reasonable view of what's been going on?
1: Yeah, and in fact, of course the the biggest um, the biggest I guess I guess you could say one of the biggest victims of this is is usually the Department of Defense and other military contractors, right? Because they are, in the grand scheme of things, smaller smaller groups, as you mentioned, they're mm-hmm. not, they're not the big fish anymore. That's again, something that's happened gradually over the last 30 or 40 years as we've been consuming a lot more electronics commercially. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they become the victims in this and for them in particular, they have, um, uh, uh, uh systems that again, we, 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 we know, uh, planes, uh, trains, vehicles that last decades, Right. And the electronics that's needed to support and maintain them, you have to go to the distributors to get it now, and it, it 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 does it does put them at risk.
0: And some of those things aren't being made anymore, so it's an interesting business trying to uh, sell to the to the DoD a chip from you know in a, a weapon system from 35 years ago. That's what the LSI era. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there's, those aren't there are. even
0: made anymore in many cases, right?
1: Yeah. Though that's the obsolescence problem, and there are a couple of very small companies that um, are tasked with either getting designs from the old manufacturer or perhaps reverse engineering the design and remanufacturing those. But I think those are very few and far between. Okay. So, like you said, you really just have to go to the distributors, and sometimes you're putting yourself at risk.
0: Yeah. Um, anything else about the the business that that opens up um, opportunities for counterfeiters that I haven't asked about uh, before we move on to what some of the um, what what some of the instances of counterfeiting are? well the other the other one,
1: yes, there's one more. Mm-hmm. And that's the fact that in the last again, say 20 years, maybe 30 years, um, particularly in the US, right? We've moved to a um, a horizontal business model in the semiconductor industry where most chips are designed by uh, one party. And then the they may be actually be, uh, be designed by multiple parties. And then an offshore foundry, uh, most of the time uh, is, is, is it, which is a third party, is actually manufacturing it for them. Mm-hmm. So the fact that the fact that we've had this globalization has also opened up the doors because the design itself is being shared with with third parties. And it, it could leak in various ways. It's not necessarily, for example, the foundry's fault, but could be a rogue employee, could be a, um, a um, state-level attacker, all these kinds of things can also leak IP, which could result in, in counterfeits being produced.
0: Uh, does that, uh, am I to, to infer from that, that um, there are fabs out there that that deliberately produce counterfeit parts?
1: Uh, I don't know if that's if that's proven. Um, I, I think I think it's I think they could also be victims in this. So if the uh-huh. IP if the IP leak somehow, they may produce counterfeits unknowingly because they're given a, the same design and they're you know it's not their responsibility to check if it's the same as somebody else's, right? Right. Right. So so, so you know we're just rounding around round we go here.
0: Well, uh, so that that might be suspected and will uh, and and yet to be proved. Uh, but uh, the phenomenon of the fabulous comp- design company um, and and the globalization of manufacturing is interesting, um, <laughs> and I didn't want to go off on. I, I have a I have a, a deep love of, of tangents. Um, if you, if you've got IP that can be intercepted, um, not necessarily counterfeiting, but uh, can is there any suspicion that that designs have been modified in such a way that, uh, uh, you know, people might put in uh, something, uh, the the software analogy would be, would be malware. Um, Is there any suspicion that anybody plugs in a little extra circuitry that allows them to, uh, to access a chip after it hits the market?
1: Yeah, that's 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 been that's been suspected as well since about uh, two thousand six or so. The, the most uh, recent example, though, which is probably the closest we've ever gotten to having evidence of it, although this is still not evidence; it's still a ghost story, is the uh, the the Bloomberg uh, big hack article um, mm-hmm. from from what was it twenty eight late twenty eighteen I believe. This actually didn't occur at the at the chip level necessarily. It was more at the the uh, printed circuit board or system level. Mm-hmm. But uh, this article alleged that they had, um, I think it was probably about a dozen folks who were telling them that uh, super micro motherboards had been intentionally modified at the manufacturing source with a, a small uh, signal couple, a small component that looked like a signal coupler. It just had basically two pins mm-hmm. and it was right by a component in the system which would allow you to remotely take over this server. Um, So you could, you could, you know, uh, bypass the OS, you could uh, change the BIOS, do all this kind of stuff. And what was alleged in the article was that uh, many companies were, were impacted apparently. And, and two of them that they listed were Apple and and Amazon, Mm -hmm. which are, you know, two of the most profitable companies in the world. And both of them denied it. They said it didn't happen. Um, But you know, what are they going to do there? There's no way they would ever admit that it did happen because Again, if your servers are compromised, how much private information could be leaked? What else could be done? Nobody would ever admit
0: that. Right. Interesting. Yeah, and just to, uh, to make this point, I've been asking you about uh, chips and ICs uh, through most of this this conversation. Uh, the phenomenon doesn't end there; it's chips and boards as well.
1: Yeah, and at the board level, it 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 consists of, you know, making a counterfeit of the board itself, but also, you know, replacing components on that board with counterfeits um, and so on. And and of course, making modifications like you mentioned.
0: Okay. So that, uh, that, that does get us naturally into the, um, in, into the conversation of what, what constitutes counterfeiting. And, and again, let's, let's talk about ICs just to, to keep the, the conversation from getting too far wide ranging. Um, what are some of the, the, Instances of, of counterfeiting. Are there different ways to counterfeit a chip?
1: Yes. So let me start by just discussing uh, a chip chip in general.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So a chip is, is essentially a piece of silicon, and the silicon is responsible for the processing, computing, and, and storage if it's memory. And that piece of silicon is, is encased in a, in a plastic or ceramic package. Um, so this is you know, that black material that you would typically see on what we call a chip. Right, and and that you know protects the chip, and then on that package we typically have some kind of markings. They could be denote could be denoting where it was manufactured, what country. Um, it could also have laser engraved markings with the company's logo, um, the the IP owner's logo, and other information such as the part type, lot number. You know, again, things that 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 designate its origin and and what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's what our starting point is. And then when you get into the type of counterfeits, I'll, I, there's, there, there are taxonomies there that, that out there that classify it as seven different types, but I'll boil it down probably to four main types, which I think are the most prominent.
0: Okay.
1: So the first are, uh, there's two that are part of this, this class, which are chips and components that are already in circulation. So the first of this type is chips that have been taken off of old systems. And their package may be slightly refurbished. Their pins may be refurbished, and they've probably been remarked, which means the markings that were on the package were, were changed to fraudulently make it look like it's new. Um, and we call these as recycled uh, type counterfeits. So recycled because they're previously used, and then they're resold into the supply chain as if they're new. So the people who are buying it think it think that they're new, but they're not. Mm. And the danger with these is, of course, that uh, like you know, like humans, these these chips age over time and with use, and they're more prone to failure uh, due to due to a their use and b the harvesting process itself, which may have exposed it to harmful conditions like like high temperatures and water and things like this. Mm. The the second part of this class of chips that are already in circulation is what's known as the remarked chip. Um, so this is often done to increase a component's grade. So for example, a commercial chip, uh, its package may be changed to make it fraudulently appear as if it's military or aerospace grade. And the difference in these chips is, the, is that the military and aerospace are more expensive because they're supposed to function in harsher conditions and harsher environments. So a counterfeiter, if they change the grade of this commercial chip and increase it artificially, they could sell it for for more than they paid for it, and the person who's getting it is getting a, a product that may be harmful. It may not stand up into the environments it's, it it needs to. Mm-hmm. And the other the other two types are um, uh, defective and out of spec chips. So these are chips that that could fail post manufacturing tests, and they're supposed to be destroyed by the manufacturer, but. You know, maybe they're not properly disposed of, or maybe they're again stolen by some kind of insider. They end up getting packaged and actually appear in the supply chain. So there's actually been been evidence of this uh, long back, uh, where there was there was manuf- a manufacturing step um, after uh, a chip's failure was to put an ink dot on it, and that would mean that it, that it failed test and it should be destroyed. But people later found when they depackaged ships, they found some some, some pieces of silicon that actually had that marking. Um, so they were somehow getting in the market. And then the last one that I'll mention is just, you know the typical thing you think as a counterfeit, a, a, a copy or a clone or a knockoff design. And this could include a, a, a real replica, it can include knockoff, and it could even include one that's been modified intentionally or tampered like we discussed earlier. Yeah. Let me, let me go into just slightly more detail and some anecdotes about what I've heard about recycled chips. Sure. Um, so I've, I've heard that, uh, you know, when the conditions that they, they remove these, these chips from their previous systems is, are not always very good. Um, so again, they might heat up the the board that it's on. They might bang the board to get the chip off. Uh, I've heard stories that they, they wash the chips in, in the streets and in, in either in rivers or in streets. When it rains, things like this. I mean, clearly stuff that you should not be exposing your chip to. (laughs) Clearly. uh, Yeah. You know, the hermetic seals are probably broken. The package is probably cracked. There's probably all kinds of humidity issues, all kinds of things. So this just adds, again, to the fact that these are already used chips, but they're probably also damaged.
0: (laughs) It just sounds amazing that, you know, a bunch of people could go dumpster diving, wash these things in a, you know, uh, in the street and and then uh, be sophisticated enough to put like a, somebody else's logo on the package.
1: Yeah. So, so there are, you know, a list of trusted and authorized distributors that, that the your original chip manufacturers um, encourage, like encourage their uh, folks to go to. And the government also, you know, specifies by law that, that uh, defense contractors should, should use these channels. Um, but again, you could you could get desperate if, if there's a chip shortage, if there's a component that you could see that's really cheap on eBay, um again, it may, may slip through the cracks.
0: Oh wow, that <laughs> I was gonna ask you about that later, but to be honest, I, I can't I just can't let that go. Um that level of desperation where you're where a company is willing to actually you know send out a, a faulty you know a potentially faulty product and a, possibly a potentially dangerous product uh just because they feel compelled to get it out the door that's that doesn't that's not encouraging if you wanna minimize the use of counterfeit products.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I, I would suspect that, you know, your large companies are are definitely not going through all unauthorized channels like like, for example, your vehicle manufacturers. Right. I'm sure they're waiting it out. They're not buying anything that they shouldn't be buying. Uh, yeah, and I hear case. like
0: some companies are actually shipping. Uh, uh, Tesla was reported to be shipping uh, certain models that simply don't have certain ICs. And they're being overt about it because they're they're simply not to be had.
1: Right, right. So I think th- those guys, the game, video games industry. I mean, everybody, every every one of the big companies that has something to lose, they're not going to do anything fraudulent for sure. But I think the small companies are are definitely more susceptible here.
0: Uh, often it's yeah, yeah uh, it's it's a matter of survival in some cases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and yeah, there's stories about um,
1: people going to jail, like the companies that are actually doing the false distribution. Mm. Um, they sometimes they sell you. They 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 just, you know, take your order, but they actually don't send you anything. Uh, sometimes they're actively going and trying to find um, uh, uh, products that are that are old and old are used and 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 refurbishing them. They find evidence of that. And again, these people go to jail. Um, back several years ago, I, I, I remember seeing in the news, there was a lawsuit, uh, Xilinx was suing, suing somebody claiming that they were doing that, uh, to, and, and actually doing other things as well, um, to, uh, to, to sell counterfeits basically to Xilinx customers.
0: There are regulations in place where defense contractors are supposed to be going to approve vendors and they're still getting taken, um, I saw one, I'm sure the the numbers aren't reliable because the reporting isn't isn't thorough. but I saw one one estimate one time that said five percent of all chips that the uh, that the US military receives might be fraudulent counterfeited somehow.
1: Just to mention what the US government has done. So in in, two, in 2012 there was a National Defense Authorization Act. And I think, if I recall, it had two, two major implications. So they made it so that the U.S. contractors who were supplying parts to the government or even equipment that was using chips um, to the government, it was, it was their responsibility uh, to, uh. To, to, to check into the parts. And they would, I think, be liable if anything happened. They would have to uh, rework, the, rework the system and, pro- I guess, perhaps pay, pay, um, pay for damages. And so that was one thing. And the second thing is that if a, a, a contractor became aware or um, had reason to suspect that a component was counterfeited, they had to report it to um, the government, specifically the uh, government industry data exchange program or GUIDA. Um, now, again, by law, they were supposed to do that. Um, but but I, I, I couldn't say whether or not everybody follows that or not. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well this uh, I guess this is a good point to, to talk about, bring up something that you and I discussed in our, our discussion earlier uh before recording, was that uh reporting is somewhat problematic. And my analogy was 20 years ago when 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 network and, and computer hacking uh began to get um really profoundly serious and, and large companies began to get hacked um and and People's privacy, their you know their their credit cards and whatnot. It, it became obvious were were targets. Um, it was difficult to get companies to report the fact that they had been hacked um, because it was a embarrassing and b perhaps um, even foolhardy to let people know hey our system is, was vulnerable, we're still working on getting it secure, but if we're still working on getting it secure, that means we're still vulnerable. Um, so, so reporting has, um, (laughs) some. there, there are reasons why a company might not want to report if they've been hacked, and I would imagine there are reasons that a company might not want to report, or an organization might not want to report that they've been subject to counterfeit, uh, to to some counterfeit scam.
1: Yeah, so we go back to the the Bloomberg big hack article, and and Supermicro was was a victim there uh, in mm-hmm. two ways. If if at the manufacturing source their systems were modified, they were a victim. They were also mod- they were also a victim of the article. The article basically tanked their stock, and I'm not I'm not sure if they've completely recovered yet. And it's mm. been, been two or three years. Um, so yeah, nobody wants to admit admit that there's a problem. And even if you were to admit that you want to um, maybe add some add a new feature to your to your component or your chip that is a- an anti-counterfeit. Um, technology they might also be a little hesitant to do that too because it's like they're they're admitting that there's a problem that's been there for a while and you know they haven't taken care of it right
0: um I would like to move on uh, and talk about uh some of the the techniques. Practices and technology that are available to companies to uh, to to counteract counterfeiting. Um, uh, I, there's a, a YouTube video that uh, that I saw uh, of a presentation that you did. Uh, where you were talking about work that you and your students and your colleagues were doing um, on uh, on one of these technological methods uh can i ask you to kind of, to to give us a, a a quick review of what methods are available uh first what techniques uh, a company should should apply uh what are some uh, uh best practices for figuring out how to uh, that you can put into place in your purchasing um, um, uh, process uh, that would that would help inoculate you against this. And then um, I'd like to ask you to go ahead and talk about some of the the actual tools that are available for for examining uh, parts that are coming in uh, for whether or not they're counterfeit or or legitimate.
1: Sure, sure. So I'll start with uh, probably the most prevalent and well-studied area. In fact, the one that has has standards actually already around it. Mm-hmm. And that's in the area of, of physical and electrical inspection of parts. Um, so there, there again are these standards that give you a series of tests that you should apply to a part specifically to, to detect um, types of defects that occur in, in counterfeit parts. So like I mentioned earlier, some of these defects could be external, they could be on the package. Mm-hmm. So, these tests would, for example, physically inspect using microscopes, using X ray, using other imaging techniques to try to find these defects. And uh, typically, this would be done by a subject matter expert. So, a person who, who has experience in this area is trained to detect these defects. And, you know, so, so anybody who's, who's making purchases, especially again, these defi- defense contractors. What they will do is they will make a purchase and they will send a batch of these chips to uh, a test lab who's certified to run these kinds of tests. And you know they will pay for a series of again, of these tests, maybe a subset of them, mm-hmm. and they'll get a report back from them uh, wh- about whether or not these suspect chips are legitimate or or whether or not they are suspect counterfeit. And um, that's that's probably the main and again, most most well studied uh, approach. Um, I highlighted mostly the physical, but there are also some very basic electrical tests uh, that people do as well. And these are these are covered in the standards. Okay. And then in terms of um, other tools and things, we have um, commercially available solutions. Um, So besides the inspection by labs, there's there's a couple of companies that have come up with a kind of a a, like an all in one kind of system to 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 um, detect counterfeits. Uh, Battelle is one of them. Battelle has this um, technology called Barricade. It's it's this small like electrical system with a socket, and you basically plug your chip into the socket. Uh, it could take you know chips of varying sizes, and it, it the system basically exercises it, uh, gives it some gives the chip some kind of stimulus, and according to the chip type, it compares it to a set of measurements from an authentic chip of that type. And based on the measurements, it tries to, you know, use machine learning and and classification methods to discern if it's counterfeit or authentic. Now, the only limitation um, in in this case compared to the inspection tests is that you you do need a set of authentic measurements from a known good chip. Mm. And for those chips that, again, are obsolete um, or, you know, nobody took these measurements to begin with, you wouldn't have any point of reference to to do it. the inspection by test labs, though, is a little different because these the defects that they detect are very generic. They're very well known. Uh, things like scratches, burned markings, resurfacing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, those, those are a very generic things. So those are easy to find. And then the, the other things that, that have mostly been developed um, out, of re, out of research, out of academia, but haven't been adopted yet are, are, um, are twofold. So, there have been targeted tests that have been developed that are a little bit less generic. And in, in some cases, they don't require a set of authentic measurements to, 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 uh, to, to, work. So that's, that's one, one area that myself and others have, have worked extensively on. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, as an example uh, for the recycled chips uh, in order to detect those types of counterfeits, what you have to do is, is kind of get a measure of, of how much the chip has been used or how much it's been aged. So there, there are tests that you could run that they they typically do during a lot of manufacturing anyway, called burn-in tests,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: where they perform accelerated aging on the part to see how it will, um, how it will withstand uh, the you know aging, how long it will last in say uh, two or three years. Right. Um, you could run a test like that, and you can compare the before and after. So if the chip doesn't change a whole lot, it means it's actually probably previously used because the aging process itself tends to kind of slow down and saturate over time. Right. So that could be an indicator that you're working with a counterfeit. And again, it doesn't necessarily require a reference. You're actually using the chip itself as a reference uh, for itself. So the before burn-in and after burn-in, you're comparing those two. And Besides these tests, again, there have been tests developed for all kinds of chips, uh, FPGAs, um, uh, all kinds of memories, SRAM, DRAM, flash, um, system-on-chip, analog chips, and so on. But the alternative to this, and this is where there's been a lot of research as well, is in developing anti-counterfeit uh, sensors or primitives. So these are things that you you have to add to to new chips. So you add them to the chips that are being manufactured today and designed today. And they pay off much further down the line, because today a lot of today's chips become tomorrow's counterfeits. Mm-hmm. So if a company is willing to invest and add these uh, sensors or primitives to their chip, they could get a, get a, get ahead of the problem later.
0: Uh, what what kind of premium would adding this type of sensor or or circuitry to uh, to a chip um, represent?
1: Yeah, personally, I think that they're mostly inexpensive, but uh-huh. it it, it depends. It's a case by case dependence. Okay. So, so for a chip that's that itself is only worth pennies, like maybe a very um, simple analog component. Right. You know, it may be this may be very expensive to add to that. But if we're if we're talking about a processor or an FPGA, I think this is you know. Less uh, less than a fraction of a penny to probably add some of these sensors, <laughs> um, and that's in terms of silicon area and things like that. Right. But but the silicon area is probably only one part of the component one one part of the cost. the The other part of the of the cost is really in in um, taking measurements of it periodically. So when it's after it's manufactured, taking a measurement from the sensor, and then you know as it's moving through the supply chain, this chip taking measurements. You may also want to take measurements for a system that's in the field as well. Um, so there's additional time and cost and resources to collect that data, store it, and maybe provide a service where you can analyze that data and and you know give a response about whether or not this is um, anomalous or not.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So uh, the the tests and techniques that exist today. Um, there's going to be at least some cost and some time penalty associated with them um uh, again i imagine it's a, it, it makes difference case by case but uh is there uh is there any rule of thumb or sense of of exactly you know would it be days weeks months that this might add
1: Oh, no, no, no. I I think it's it's a very short amount of time. In fact, like I mentioned with burning, those types of tests are done anyway, Mm -hmm. um, typically after manufacturing. So you just be asking them to measure this sensor. um, And again, if it's designed in a certain way that it's easily accessible, it shouldn't take much time. Um, Now, when a chip or, or a system is moving through the supply chain, in order to test every chip on a PCB, yeah, that that may require additional infrastructure that I think could be could be designed and added to boards, and we could very build standards and protocols around that. Um, so, for example, if you were to purchase a printed circuit board, there should be a chip on there that kind of gets the information from all those chips on the board, securely sends it to a database or a cloud for you, and then there's a service again in the cloud that's verifying this information and telling you that this this board and all of its chips are okay. Hmm. That 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 doesn't exist today, but there's no reason to believe that it couldn't. And I, I mean, again, it would require an investment, but I don't, I don't think it's um, it's that significant compared to the the cost of counterfeits, which yeah, by the way, we haven't really mentioned, but it's it's estimated to be um, in the range of seven point five billion each year. This is according to a semiconductor industry association.
0: Wow, that's uh, yeah, that's sobering. Um, interesting. Um new techniques uh that are in development. Um are are there are there other uh techniques that uh that might be uh uh being created now or could be created soon that would um help counteract the counterfeiting problem?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um there's been some research by a couple of groups in in um and, and also funded by a few agencies. Towards um, building that cloud environment, mm-hmm. um, like like especially with with blockchain. So blockchain will give you this capability where you can, uh, where you know it could be decentralized. So all types of companies can can contribute contribute to it, and it's a you know a record that is untamperable that 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 it that it creates. Right. So, so that's a technology that that people are, are investing in. There's um there's a technology that I I, I developed in my group. Which um, was the patent was published recently, although I don't think it's approved yet, and um, it's it's based on on using uh, the low dropout regulator, which is in a lot of a lot of chips, even even some analog chips. So this is a, a it's called an LDO, mm-hmm. and again it's it's responsible for for uh, power power regulation. We found that uh, it, it, we could use it to detect uh, recycled chips because. It actually uh, degrades when the chip is being used and it's it's unavoidable to to not age this this part because it, when, if the chip is being powered and it's being used it's using the power regulator. right. So we've we've developed a set of tests that, that can use that and again it's it's sort of a, almost like a universal technique because this component is is available in a lot of chips. And we're also um, right now creating a, a version where you could modify an existing LDO in your design and add it to new designs to make this technology even better, even more accurate. Nice.
0: Okay, cool. Um, I have asked about uh, every question I can think of to ask about this, this phenomenon. Uh, what haven't I asked about that's, that's interesting or of note?
1: Um. Yeah, there, there's one other thing I wanted to mention, mm-hmm. um, and it, it was what I alluded to when, when we first started, and it's that, um, you know, the, the government, the U.S. government did some things to to try to crack think, crack down on things in 2012, especially with the National Defensive Authorization Act. But that was pushed on the the equipment manufacturers. But I think that the chip manufacturers need to do their part, too, mm-hmm. Um which means they should try to adopt a lot of these sensors and techniques. And um, there could be a variety of reasons to hopefully help motivate them to do that. Um, One of which is that this technology, some of these technologies are not only useful for anti-counterfeit, but they could have all their other purposes as well. So for example, those aging sensors or odometers that I mentioned, Mm -hmm. they could be used to detect recycled chips, but they could also be used for preventive maintenance. So, you know, if you're if you're monitoring a system over time and you realize that this chip is, has been used quite a bit, you may know that it, it's it's going to be in need of replacement very soon. And rather than the whole system coming down because of this one chip, you, you could avoid the downtime. And so the company gets a, a benefit for that. And uh, the, the company that's using the chip gets a benefit, and the um, manufacturer will look look better as well if they aff- actually offer this feature. Hmm. Um so that's that's one example. And then the other example as a motivator for the chip manufacturers is that we're all consumers of electronics even them. So, you know, they're purchasing monitors and PCs and all kinds of electronics themselves. You know, even even though they're claiming that you should go to authorized distributors, they may be purchasing things that they, they don't know where it's from or they may be getting things from from places they don't know. And it affects their own business and it affects them personally because you know, as we discussed, this could affect their own families. If this is placed in a in a car or a plane that you know their family is on, their own safety is at risk. So, really, for the good of the ecosystem, uh, the, I hope that the chip manufacturers will take it take it a little bit more seriously as well. Um, I, I, I would suspect that it, it would be difficult to, for the, again, for the government to enforce uh, having having these sensors and things. But there are examples where where it has been done. So vehicles, our vehicles have to contain odometers by law, mm-hmm. and there's even some countries that 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 um, have odometer databases. So when you sell a car, the odometer value goes into that database to make sure that nobody's uh, turning it backwards. So if we do this for cars, I can't see why we can't do it for electronics. And electronics are being used more and more in the last in the last few decades. They're ubiquitous today, and. Some of them are in our homes and our IoT devices. All these kinds of things. It seems like the next natural step to me to take this more seriously. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm I'm sorry for laughing, but I, I, it's it's so hard not to get cynical to to laugh for crying that you you know after losing five billion it, you know dollars per year and. and probably being aware of horror stories after 20, 30, 40 years of counterfeiting. Um, It's probably 40 years too late, (laughs) but it would be nice to start, wouldn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, they, you know, people always talk about how policy, it takes time for policy to catch up to the technology. Um, And I think that's understandable, but in this case, again, the problem has been around for maybe 30 or 40 years it's, it's really time for the policy to catch up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Dominic Forte, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Yeah, thanks again for inviting me. It's This is a, a topic near and dear to me.
0: That was Dominic Forte from the University of Florida. Our next guest is Barbara Jorgensen from our sister publication, EPS News. Barb is one of the most knowledgeable reporters in the industry when it comes to matters of electronics distribution and procurement. And in fact, I prepped for my discussion with Dominic Forte by reading some of her coverage. I asked Barb to describe how the market tries to minimize the problem. Part of my question was about blockchain techniques and the extent to which they're being used in addressing the issue.
2: There are a number of ways that you can lower the risk of procuring bad chips in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, And the authorized distribution channel has been fighting this for as long as there have been counterfeit parts. Mm -hmm. They differentiate themselves from the open market or something that's called the gray market where chips that are not used um, can be resold, sometimes pennies on the dollar. But if they're in high demand, they can be, you know, sold at a premium. Um, and this includes a lot of the end of life chips and the the older chips that um, that you and the professor were talking about. They, you know, they're hard to get. They're hard to find. And if you find them, um, you're you're willing to pay top dollar for them. Um, but the, the point is, is that um, authorized distribution buys factory direct. Um, Brand owners such as Intel, AMD, you know, you can, um, Murata, uh, really any component vendor um, basically audits their distributors to make sure that they are handling their products correctly, they're storing their products correctly, and that they have access to all of the information that the vendor can supply them in terms of, who made the chip, where it was made, and they can kind of drill down to some really uh, granular information, such as um, on you know, the lot number, what factory mm-hmm. it came from, um, who the packaging partner was, um, who the assembly partner was. Um, authorization is really, you know, it's, it's kind of the, um, the gold standard for for the procurement. Side it really you know it means and and this is kind of how I, I back into blockchain. Blockchain basically uh, lets everybody in the chain know that this particular player has undergone a lot of these same these same things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're Intel and you've got three or four different partners before you you, you actually sell that that packaged chip. Those partners will be part of the blockchain. So if you're a user and you want to trace this stuff back, a blockchain will automatically give you the information that this person has been vetted or this company has been vetted, that this is part of the supply chain. And you don't have to really trace or research every single um, partner that, you know, the, the the chip passes through. I mean, you can start with the materials supplier. And, you know, so there's, there's a lot of steps, and all of these steps do increase the risk of, uh, you know, of something going wrong or something being, you know, interjected into the chip. Um, I don't know how much, poss- I don't know how much downloading of malware goes on. I think the supply chain has that pretty well. Tightened up. But mm-hmm. um I think my original point was that the traceability is really important, and an authorized distributor will have all of that information directly from the, the chip factory, and that will be retained, whether it's um it's you know electronically or in some cases paperwork, but all that information will follow the chip to the end user. Um so really, although Distributors do buy and sell uh, amongst themselves. An authorized distributor will buy from the factory, it will buy from other authorized distributors, um, or it may obtain product that it sold that the distributor sold to an end user that the end user no longer wants, and again, that traceability uh, is going to be there and it's going to be demonstrated. Yeah. Um, so that, that really lowers the risk of procuring a, a bad chip in the first place.
0: It's clear that there are situations where there are there is a demand for chips and the supply doesn't isn't there you know what recourse do people have but other than to go to the gray market
2: well there are um there are distributors that aren't authorized that do buy and sell product and, mm. and many of them have the same standards as the authorized distributors um they will only buy product that's in unopened boxes um, and, and that the, the um the traceability data is intact mm-hmm. and, and retrievable um again or if it or in the case of paperwork um, many of them will actually perform lot tests on on chips you know if you if you invest in a, a I don't know how you know a thousand chips um mm-hmm. you know and you're and those are there in short supply first of all you're going to charge a lot more than you usually do for them but yeah. secondly it, it it definitely behooves you to you know to make sure that you're you're selling what you advertise mm. um the the other kind of player is is kind of the the, the the wild wild west of the chip market um these are these are basically opportunists and yes they will uh they will take, damaged product they will reclaim product from scrapped you know printed circuit boards they will remark products that you know that are in circulation but they don't perform to the standards that um of the you know of the chip that you're looking for so Mm. and and they will advertise um we have these things they will often um basically they, they won't give you a lot of information and they won't give you the um you know what you're what you're looking for it's basically just a straight out purchase and if you're not as involved in the supply chain as as I am um or really you know a, a lot of industries are mm-hmm. um you might be you might be tempted to buy from them um, without really knowing that the traceability and how important that is. Um, you know, and that again, that's another way to, um, to, you know, to make sure that you're getting what you, you know, what what they're um, what they're selling. So going to the gray market is is tempting. There are um, there are players with, with very high standards, and you know basically have built their reputation on that. Yeah. Uh, but there are, there are the opportunists that will that will set up a shop, a storefront, um, and then disappear once they've been paid, um, or they will send you you know substandard product. Um, one of the one of the um, anecdotes. I remember from from a long time covering this is um one such counterfeiter spelled Malaysia wrong on the box <laughs> that's how that's how they identified counterfeit chips I mean it, it's it can be really just you know stupid stupid chip tricks as I call them but right. it can be that basic um you know and can be that obvious but um you kind of need to know it, it, you, you need to know to ask, you know, for the, for the traceability, for the information. Um, and, you know, and I'm not sure that that's top of mind with everybody who's looking for a chip who has a production line, you know, at a standstill and, you know, sees the availability of the chip. Um, and it's just very, very tempting.
0: The Semiconductor Industry Association had some recommendations for how to combat counterfeiting in its white paper which we link to on this podcast episode webpage. Our guest Dominic Forte had some recommendations too. I asked Barb what she thought the industry could do and she agreed with Forte on one thing.
2: Chip makers and frankly all component manufacturers can do more. Mm. Um you know clearly they are they're focused on their own product. So the brand the brand owners such as Intel, AMD um you know the the passive and uh connector guys they they will be able to identify their product one way or another yeah. um the problem with that is if you're a distributor let's say and you carry literally hundreds of products um you have to really trace every single product that you sell um the hope and desire would be some sort of standard by which the electronics industry can um you know can kind of normalize the the uh, through the the identification and and checking system hmm. um you know cuz you have to remember with a lot of these it's not just the um you know identification that you get you need something to 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 read it. So it might be software, um, it might be equipment, Um, you know, and imagine doing that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Uh, So it it does add up. Um, So, you know, understandably, the brand owners are are most concerned with tracing, you know, their own chips um, for for a lot of reasons, including liability. Um, There is less effort put toward you know, just some kind of standard process by which you, you know, you have your quality assurance uh, and, you know, and blockchain, maybe, you know, maybe one way to achieve that. Right. Um, you know, so you kind of get your, your, your stamp of approval, um, you know, prior to purchasing the product. But for now, you know, that, that's really, you know, you really have to trust who you buy, you know, buy from, especially if you're buying from a distributor.
0: The counterfeiting problem has been dragging on for decades. Dominic Forte quoted an SIA estimate that the counterfeiting problem is costing the industry $7.5 billion a year. The semiconductor industry now seems to be far more focused on supply-side issues, however, adding capacity and figuring out where to add that capacity. And that's understandable. But again, fraud and waste isn't the point. We keep risking the possibility that some counterfeit chips will end up causing accidents or even fatalities. Wouldn't it be better to address the problem now before tragedy occurs? We would like to thank our guests today, Dominic Forte from the University of Florida and Barbara Jorgensen, editor of EPS News. That wraps up this episode of The Weekly Briefing. Thank you for listening. The Weekly Briefing is available through the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us at our website, you'll find a transcript along with direct links to the other stories we mentioned and other resources. The Weekly Briefing is produced by E.E. Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McCray at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week.